Hello everyone, we are rolling for another episode of the JJF1 podcast where Jonah and Jordan talk about all things related to F1. Jordan, good morning. <laughs> We're we actually back. recording. We're actually recording in early morning in Canada and the afternoon in France. And it feels great because it means that I don't need to stay awake until 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. So that's going to be a fun time. We are here to talk about the uh, Grand Premio del Made in Italy dell'Emilia Romagna, <laughs> where Max Verstappen won from Sergio Perez in second and Lando Norris in third. So we had we had a race. Uh, I we had what could have been a snooze fest for part of it, and then absolute madness for the other part of it. So Jordan, walk us through what you feel about this race and this weekend. So, so I watched the race. It kind of was bad timing for me. It was in the middle of two exams, which kind of sucked. But I, I still managed to watch the race. And I have two initial thoughts. My first initial thought is I think it was almost just as good as Saudi Arabia so far this year. I think that some parts were even better than Saudi Arabia and some parts were even worse. And that's why I'll say it was just as good. Um, it was exciting at the end. Uh, we saw a bit of a shakeup in the order, which was great. We saw a chase down by Max Verstappen, which was also great. Um, twice, actually. And my second thought is, if you were to ask me four weeks ago where I would see McLaren in week four, in round four, I don't think I would tell you that they'd get a podium. <laughs> yeah. That's that just the reality. So it was a very pleasant surprise to see somebody different on the podium again. And um, that's what I love about 2022 is that we're... we're going to be seeing a lot of different people on the podium and different people in the top five. And it looks like because the cars are now more of an, of, on, on an even playing field, we're kind of seeing the drivers for who they are. Um, and we're seeing more of their natural talent as the season goes on. Um, I really attribute Kevin Magnussen's top 10 finishes to him just being a great Formula One driver and not having a car that's supposed to be in the back of the grid. You know, yeah. Bottas is in a top five finish in Imola because he is a great driver and not because he has all these pressures and his teammates with Lewis Hamilton. So I really think that we're, we're because of these new cars that aren't even playing field, we're starting to see uh, more of the drivers for who they are as humans, as pure racing car drivers. Uh, what do you have to say as a, uh, in re- relation to what I said and your thoughts as well? Um. I have a lot of notes to go through. Uh, so right. this is, this is going to be a great episode because um, I think one thing we need to realize is that F1 needs to get their weather system under control uh, because <laughs> there's this whole hesitation about uh, uh, there might be rain, there might not be rain. Um, but one point that I really enjoyed was, uh, first off, I loved the sprint. And I thought that bringing the sprint to Imola was going to be a bad idea because it's difficult to overtake in Imola. Turns out I was very wrong. So uh, I think it's great that they did a sprint race here. Um, As well, I enjoyed that risk-taking got 
backfired. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. Um, because taking a risk did not work so well for one red driver. And yeah, I think that it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting thing to talk about. So with that being said, let's move to Friday where we had qualifying. And one thing that I want to talk about is, um, squandered Canadian camaraderie between Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi. Um, Jordan, what, what do you think happened in that situation? Do you think Lance was at fault? Do you think Latifi was at fault? Do you think it was a misunderstanding? Uh, what do you think? Look, I think it's very similar to what happened in Australia, unfortunately. Um, I think that it was just carelessness. I was just a carelessness, but when you're not on a hot lap, you don't really, uh, you're, you're more focused on warming up your tires than anything else. And you're more focused on communicating with your race engineer to make sure you have the best outlap possible for your hot lap. So I think that it was just the focus, unfortunately, for those two drivers at that time was not uh, there 100%. And as a result, I think it was just being at the wrong place at the wrong time for both of them. Um, I do think that um, uh, they should obviously do a better job of managing their surroundings. And, and as Formula One drivers, that's what they're trained to do. Um, but no one's perfect and they have their faults and they have, you know, debatably less experience than everybody else coming into Formula One anyway. So um, it could be a reason why. Um, my, uh, yeah, but as we saw in Imola, they weren't the only DNFs of that qualifying session. I think there was a record number of DNFs in that qualifying session in Imola. No Alonso, no Albon, no Alonso finished. No, uh, uh, Botas didn't. Albon didn't. Yeah, uh, Signs did not. No, K Mag also had a little kerfuffle at the at the beginning of, of, of Q three. Yeah, but that ended up working out for him because he he ended up qualifying yeah. P four. So yeah, but it, it was just it was just I think it was the circumstances uh, led to just an unfortunate event. Also, with the rain and the weather situation, was not in their favor. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the way that I see it, and maybe it's because I'm 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 using Homer pride here, but I think that it was a misunderstanding on Lance's part, and that there wasn't enough communication, and that Lance is perfect, and that he abs he he moved to the right, not thinking that the TV was going to be there, and they crashed. But maybe that's just because I'm uh, a little bit optimistic about Lance and uh, his driving abilities. But <laughs> my my reaction was like, oh no. Not again. It's Latifi. There, there is always. How many races has it been? We've been through four or five races so far, and Latifi's crashed and qualifying in all of them. So, you, you know, it's funny you bring this up because I, I watched a YouTube video the other day of a YouTube channel I watch called Formula World. They talk about rumors that are happening in Formula One, and they were talking about how it's possible. And I want your take on this: that Latifi gets replaced by either Oscar Piastri or Nick DeVries in the middle of 2022. Ooh. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how that could happen if he crashes again in qualifying. Because, <laughs> like, think of how many front wings he's destroyed. He's cost think the team a lot of money. how many suspensions he's destroyed. <laughs> 
it's 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 going to be a math game. It's how much money is he bringing in and how much money is he spending. Yeah, and especially with the cost cap, they can't just inject more money and save themselves because they have an X amount of spare parts that they're allowed to use because of the cost cap. Right. So I, I saw this rumor and I said, that's actually a very interesting rumor. I see it more being realistic that Nick DeVries goes because he's a Mercedes Academy driver. But uh, well, I mean, if we think Piastri is going to McLaren, then the yeah, race could easily go to Williams. Academy driver, and he's at Alfa Romeo. So it's we never know anymore. <laughs> we never know. Anything is possible. So with that moving on, um, we have over here. Okay, McLaren finishes. Norris qualifies P3. K Mag qualifies P4. Amazing work by both of them. And then the sprint race. I have three people that I want to talk about during the sprint race. Number one is Perez moving up to second place, Sainz moving up, and then Max overtaking Charles Leclerc at the last lap to end up winning uh, the sprint. So for you, first off, do you think that the sprint in 2022 is a good idea? And do you think that this race was proof either of yes or of no? Yeah, so Jonah, as you said, you weren't a fan of the sprint going Imola. If you remember our first ever podcast, I was not a fan of the sprint at all. I, yeah. My philosophy was don't fix what ain't broke. And that might be a good philosophy for some things, but in the world of Formula One, it's relative. And I've been proven wrong. I think the sprint is a great addition to Formula One. And I was even happier when they announced six sprints happening in 2023 as opposed to three in 2022. Um, Do we think Montreal is going to get a sprint race? So that's what we're hoping for. Uh, I'd, I'd love a Montreal sprint race. I would think I think that Baku and Circuit uh, Villeneuve are two perfect circuits for a sprint race. Uh, maybe add Singapore in there. That would be really cool too. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, so I'm a really big fan of this for race because it adds extra spice to the weekend. Um, it's very fun for the fans, especially at the race itself, because you get to see more racing and the fans probably prefer to see racing than a qualifying session. Um, and it's, it's great for at home because it's, it's more enjoyable to see race than a qualifying session. <laughs> and regardless of what you say, the sprint race is not qualifying. It's a race. It's just, yeah. a, just half a race or a third of a race. Well, no, um, now they're calling it a race. Now they're calling it a race because last year they called it qualifying and now they're calling it a race. And they're also giving P1 to P8 points instead of just the top three. And I think that that's so much better. Um, you're not going to give the 25 points, but you'll give, you know, the eight or the, uh, I forget how much it is now if you get P1, but. It's eight at eight, and then it goes down by a point depending on how you finish. Right. So I think that that's perfect. Actually, they, they worked it out really well. Um, so, yes, I'm a fan of the sprint race. Number two is I think the fact that Master Verstappen passed Charles Leclerc in the last lap and gave us him on pole is the reason why sprint races should be a thing mm. for a lot of races and at a lot of tracks. Um, I, it, it was just very interesting because. The best part of the sprint race, in my opinion, is the fact that there is no tire strategy involved. There could be if you want there to be tire strategy involved, but there doesn't have to be tire strategy involved. Yeah. And therefore, you're able to see that the, it's the driver by himself taking his car to the absolute limit as much as he possibly can. 
without the help of his team, without the help of a strategy, without the help of an overcut or an undercut. And that's when you see the race driver race with his heart and you see him race with just his pure skill. And I think that that's why I love this for race. What I would say also is that you're saying that it shows the driver by himself. I think that it also shows the maximum potential of that car without having to pull back uh, because of, yeah, of tire preservation. Um, I think one of the reasons why Max passed Shal on the last lap because it showed that red that the Red Bull car right now is quicker in a straight line uh, than the Ferrari car. And maybe if we had a, a 50 or 60 lap race, then that overtake probably wouldn't have happened until a few laps later, um, or even not at all, um, uh, because of the desire to preserve tires and just make it to the end of the race. But now that we don't have that anymore, and the cars, the cars could go mostly full out um, during uh, the sprint race, leads to amazing events like what we had where Max passed Schall on the last lap and he ended up winning. Um, yeah, do you do you have anything? Uh, I mean, there was also a, an amazing comeback by Sergio Perez as well. Like, I, I love the way that Checo's going this year. I think that he's been doing so well this year. He finally shows that he belongs in that Red Bull team. Um, and I'm going to talk about a little bit about that a little bit more uh, later once we go into the race. But I think that the sprint race is just an absolute, an absolute genius creation. And uh, I'm very happy that it turned a track like Imola into a place where you could actually overtake. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Great. <laughs> in that case, we're going to move on to the race. And in the race, lap one, we had... Signs crashing into Ricardo, or no, yeah. Ricardo crashing into signs. It was that's exactly what it was. It was yeah, the gravel trap. It was, and Ricardo was very lucky to get away cleanly. Um, but signs uh, back of the pack, but signs has been dealt a really bad hand these past two races. Yeah, that's what I wanted to. That's what I wanted to say is, I said that signs was going to win this race because he was so motivated to pick up after his dnf from last race meanwhile he dnfs again what do you think what do you do you think that this is going to be a huge blow in his attempt to number one stay in his case in ferrari even though he's been extended for two years or um do you think that this is just going to motivate him even more I think that it's not about stating his case to Ferrari or to anyone for that matter. I think it's about stating a case to himself because Carlos Sainz is finally in a top team. He's finally at Ferrari. He's finally in a car that's able to win races. And when you're in a car that's able to win races, you have to show yourself that you are a race-winning driver. Yes, he has the mentality. Yes, he has the attitude. And yes, he has the poise and the skill. But can he actually pull the trigger and get it done? And I think that's a question for Carlos Sainz to answer. And I think that's a, something that Carlos Sainz needs to answer for himself and not for anybody else, because we know that that Ferrari could win a race. There's no question about that. It's just for Carlos Sainz. And then once he gets that first race win, he is world championship material. Blood gates are opened. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of proving it to himself. And I think that he is very motivated, uh, period. but. He's just been dealt, I think it's just been very bad luck 
it's just been incredibly bad luck. It's been two circuits with gravel traps. He was just at the wrong place at the wrong time again with Ricardo. And right, I think so he's going to have no problem at La Castellet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, I, think that it, I think that it was mainly Ricardo's fault, um, that incident uh, in particular. Um, so I just think he's just been really bad. It's just been really bad luck. And again, like we keep saying next race, next race. But again, wouldn't it be so great if he won his first race in Miami? I think it would be great if he wins his first race in Miami, but I, I'm on the same side as you in that sense that I don't think that this is going to put a dent in his reputation at all. I think like, like you said, it's just a mix of bad luck. Um, and it's really disappointing to see not only as a racing fan, but just as someone who appreciates Carlos Sainz's character, um, which is something, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of some drivers' personalities. You definitely know about that. Um, but one driver's personality and just the way that he conducts himself is in 100% Carlos signs. It has to be up there. Um, so I don't think that this, this is going to put a dent. I mean, maybe it'll mean that he won't win the championship this year, but realistically, was he going to win a championship this year? He needs to win a race first, like you said. So um, I think that, that it's, it's, it's very possible, like you said, that he could win in Miami, but I also said that for this race. So let's see what happens with that. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, okay, so we're going to move along. We had this risk of rain that didn't come ever where they switched from intermediates uh, to slicks. And then there was this race, there was this threat of rain and that as soon as it was gonna rain, they were gonna go put on inters or wets again, depending on the rain conditions. And there was this whole thing with no DRS um, during the mostly dry race. And then one person that I wanna talk about in that area is George Russell dealing with the Mercedes and moving it up to P4, number one in a bad Mercedes car, and number two with a wing that wasn't adjusted for slicks. So let's try to unpack all of that. Uh, we, got, we got the pit under the rain that never came, or uh, raining for rain that never came. Then we have D no DRS for a lot of the race. And then we have George Russell driving that Mercedes uh, like – like a madman and Lewis Hamilton finishing in P13. So what, what happened? It's not making sense to me, Jonah. It really is not making sense to me. Um, here you have a seven time world champion, arguably the best formula one driver to ever get in the cockpit of a car. And now you have somebody who's only four races with a team that is 10 places above the seven-time world champion in the same machinery? It sounds odd to me, and something I think is going on that we don't know about. Really? Yes. I think something is going on that we don't know about. Um, maybe, maybe Hamilton's just not used to the car. Maybe it's not just, maybe it's not his style. Maybe it's not the kind of car that's built for him. But that's the thing. It should have been the type of car that was built for him. 
What are they doing if it's not a car that's built for him? Well, no, I'm not saying that Mercedes built a car that wasn't built for him. I'm saying more the regulations than anything. But meanwhile, that should right. prove. But the best driver should be able to navigate through no matter whatever changes, regardless of the regulations or of, of adversity in general. Um, yeah, I just I think that there's something weird happening. Um, I was very surprised at seeing Lewis at the back of the pack the entire race. And I think that the F1 production team did him dirty when they put that he was 77 seconds behind Max Verstappen, who was in the lead of the race. He got lapped. And got lapped by him. I'm sure Jos Verstappen had a big smile on his face when he saw the lapping. I'm sure Christian Horner was jumping for joy. Um, I'm sure Max said to whom it may concern. A hundred percent. Yeah, it, it, it was, they did him dirty. To the, they did the seven-time world champion dirty. I I found that kind of amusing. I don't think Lewis liked that so much. Yeah, um, I don't know what's going on with Lewis, man. I thought he was a world champion this year. And I am sad to say that I have to concede my prediction. Yeah, I mean, I think Mercedes is also conceding their predictions of, of fighting for wins and fighting for podiums. Which is so crazy to think about because they've been dominating for the greater part of like eight years now. Yeah, eight straight constructors championships and drivers champions. No, eight, yeah. eight straight constructors and seven drivers. No, no, eight drivers because Nico Rosberg won one of them. No, because it was 24, it was 14 to 21 in constructors. And then, but they lost the drivers in 2021. Oh, I keep forgetting that they lost the drivers. In yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're right. Um, and also, big shout out to Nico Rosberg. He is the funniest man in Formula One television production. Um, every single time something with Lewis is not going well, he loves to talk about it for the greater part of five minutes. Um, and I even sent Jonah a meme, actually, when after the race, where there was a meme where I think it was Martin Brundle talking to Nico Rosberg and the meme had said, so Nico, the weather's, uh, the weather is uh, not so nice today. And Nico replies with, yeah, you know what else is not so, you know, what, sorry, he's like, the weather is nice. And Nico's like, you know what else is nice? When I beat Lewis Hamilton for the, for the world championship in 2016. Yeah, man, Nico Rosberg. Also, he has a fantastic YouTube channel, so. Yes, I love his track analyses. I'm, I'm living for it. All right. Anyways, um, one thing that I wanted to also talk about is should the FIA have allowed DRS earlier than they should have? My response is maybe. <laughs> and why is your response maybe? Because I wasn't at the track and I don't know the track conditions, but if the drivers are complaining that they should put on DRS and that there's a drive line, then they should be able to you know, have DRS. <laughs> yeah, the, the television producers were all saying that there should have been DRS and, and, and Crofty and Martin Brundle were very, very adamant on there being DRS and there wasn't DRS. I was pretty confused as to why there wasn't DRS because I'm no weather expert, but I did see the dry line on the track. Um, and 
it was, yeah, I, I think that if there was DRS sooner, we would have had more competitive racing. It wouldn't have been that much of a snooze fest at the beginning. Um, but again, I'm no weather expert, so I cannot make the call. I just all to say that DRS makes things always fun. So I would have liked to see DRS as a Formula One fan. I think everybody would. Yeah, well, when, when, it, when DRS actually came, um, we had a very interesting situation with the current championship leader, Charles Leclerc, who pitted to, from what I understand, get one more point on the fastest lap. Uh, and then yeah, ended up spinning out and completely screwing up his race. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. What do, you th- has- what do you think? What do you think, man? Do you think Charles- that realistically would the strategy have worked? I think that Charles Leclerc knows how fast the Red Bull is, especially in the high-speed tracks that are coming up. Um, we are cu- we're going to Canada. Uh, we're going to Baku. Uh, We're going to be in Monza eventually. Um, These are high-speed tracks. And the Red Bull is much better suited for these high-speed tracks. So Charles Leclerc of the mentality that every point matters. Even though he has a 20, 30-point lead in the championship, every one point matters, especially because last year, by the end of the race, they were neck and neck on points. We saw it happen last year. So he is willing to take a risk. He did it in Australia. He was very adamant about it. you know, I guess the risk was more calculated and there was less of a risk just because Max was out of the race at the point. Um, but every point matters to Charles Leclerc and he took the risk and he wanted to go for the fastest lap. And he really, really values that fastest lap point. And Charles Leclerc does have the habit of when he pushes too hard to sort of make a little mistake here and there. And it's that's all right. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, but he has uh, done it uh, more more times than 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 that like he's done it uh, a, a substantial amount of times that the average Formula One fan can recall uh, you know the Baku qualifying session or can recall his Monaco qualifying session yeah or or can recall uh, the end of the 2020 Turkish Grand Prix um, so I think that I am stupid <laughs> even more than in Baku yeah. <laughs> Um, but yes, so I actually saw another meme, funny enough, where Charles, it was a meme of Charles Leclerc looking, is like him looking at like notes after a race. It was like Charles Leclerc looking at notes after a race. And it showed pictures of the notes of like, it said, post-race debrief, I am stupid, I am stupid, I am stupid, I am stupid. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that we're giving Charles Leclerc a little bit too much pressure because he is now the number one driver on the number one Formula One team in terms of popularity and also in terms of leading the championship. And with, with that sort of pressure, your mistakes get amplified. Um, and I, I think that, yes, the, the, the mistakes are very much Charles Leclerc's doing, but... I, I feel like at the same time, there are drivers that make many more mistakes and we don't scrutinize them as much for it. Um, probably because of the situation that they're in. So maybe because he's at the top now, um, hey, we're 
we're giving him a lot more flack than he should have. I agree with you. It's like being a player for the Montreal Canadiens. I agree with you with certain respects. Um, yeah, it's like being a player among Montreal Canadiens, but it's bad when uh, any driver, I would say bad, but I would say a driver will get more scrutiny and more pressure when he falls from P1 to P8 as opposed to when he falls from P12 to P20. That's fair. So it's not about the fact that we're giving him more pressure because he's a Ferrari driver. I think that there's a natural pressure that comes with that, like the Montreal Canadiens or like the Dallas Cowboys and, or, or the New England Patriots when Tom Brady was on the team. Or and the so, Yankees. <laughs> or the Yankees. Um, but I think that when you're at the top, everyone's gunning for your, for your place. It's, it's a war of attrition. And it's because the top has so much, uh, it dictates so much the outcome of the championship, especially when you're in the position of Charles Leclerc, your every move is magnified. Your, your every move is, is looked at in a sort of way and the media will make uh, comments about it and they will analyze it so much more than Daniel Ricardo or Mick Schumacher falling to the back of the pack at the beginning of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that because Charles Leclerc for himself, because he's able to perform so well this year and in turn set such high standards for himself, we, the media say that he, uh, we, we, I guess, put the pressure on him because he is that great. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like, in my opinion, we're giving him a compliment in a way. We're not. Yeah, it's it's you roast the ones you love kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. We're we we are Lance Stroll fans, but the fact that we're not saying Lance, you're not the best, the best, the best, and you're this for it. It's 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 we're giving Charles Leclerc a compliment in a sense, being like we know you can be the best, and therefore we're upset as race fans because you are not delivering the best quality racing we know you're able to deliver. Yeah. That's that's, I, that's a very good point. That's a very very good point. Um, so I think we're I think we're actually yes, there's pressure because, and every Formula One driver when you're gunning for the world championship, there's pressure. You set that for yourself. You're leading. Everyone wants you to win, especially when you're a a Ferrari driver and b a loved driver like Charles Leclerc is. We talk about F1 personalities here all the time. He has one of the best F1 personalities that this sport has seen in 20, 30 years. Ferrari is just a wholesome team. <laughs> yes, exactly. He he's a humble, he's a monogasque, but he's a humble monogasque. <laughs> he's a piano player, he's a chess player, he's a family man, and everybody sees that. So, in a sense, uh, it's I think that we 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 put pressure on him, but I think the pressure is uh, is a compliment. Yeah, and I think that you don't win for world championships as he wants to win without a little bit of pressure. You have, you have a very, very good point. But meanwhile, because Leclerc spins, Norris gets third. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that was my biggest shock of the race, my most surprising moment. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about McLaren. For as much as we rip McLaren at the beginning, I think we should be celebrating them right now. 
Yeah, and also shout out to Daniel Ricardo. I know he got that first lap race incident, but in the sprint race, I think he finished P5. Yeah. Uh, which is also pretty impressive. Um, given that they didn't get out of Q through Q1 at the first race of the season. Mm-hmm. And that he had real F1 testing experience. I think this is also proof that the development war is going to be crucial for the championship positions, whether it be in drivers or constructors, because there's no way that McLaren kept the same car between uh, Bahrain and now and went from getting not even making it out of Q1 to finishing on the podium. And I think the quicker that teams develop their car, the more interesting this championship is going to be and the more shaken up the grid order is going to be. Um, I think an example of that is also, sure, Kevin Magnussen qualified really well, but he ended up falling to like ninth or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was ninth or tenth, yes. Yeah, and that's based on race pace and because their development has not gone as fast as, for example, McLaren did. So... We know that the drivers are capable when they're on their day. Um, and I think that Norris proved it today with finally having a package that could bring it back to the podium and where they where they should be in their eyes. Yeah, I really hope that Haas doesn't have a season like 2019 where they started off really strong and then sort of fell off the cliff. It depends uh, on development money. Yeah, it's it's it, and also it depends on the experience of their drivers to not crash their cars. Because the more money they spend on reparations, the less money they spend on spend on upgrades. Like at least Mazepin is no longer in that team. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So yes, I was very surprised at the Norris podium. I was very surprised at the McLaren's performance. I really didn't think that they'd be able to work it out with the Mercedes engine. Um, and I still think the Ferrari engine is very much superior. Um, I think that um, uh, the Mercedes engine teams have to figure out the aerodynamics of their car uh, first and foremost. Um, and yeah, because we saw, you know, maybe Aston Martin brought a little bit of upgrades, which led to them being a little bit better, which was nice. I wanted to, I wanted to talk about Aston Martin after. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's get into it. Uh, Aston they, Martin scored double points. <laughs> yeah, finally. Now there's no team with no points, which is, I don't think we've had that in a long time after round four. Yeah, we definitely haven't had that in a while. So, yeah, I, I was very happy with Aston Martin's performance. Anything is better than what they did in the first three races. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm happy at any improvements. I'm happy for Lance and I'm happy for Seb. <laughs> Yes, I'm happy for Seb, and I think that the team, uh, I really hope that Seb is it's not his last season. That's, that's what I'll say. I mean, we said, we said earlier that this might be it for him, so. It might be. If it can, if it, look, if he's going to stay even at the back of the top 10, I think that he can still ha- use that justification to leave. The thing is that I've heard some quotes from, from Mike Crack, uh, who said, it is inexcusable that a four-time world championship should be, sorry, four-time world champion should be fighting for P8. And he has a point. Yeah. As in, he should be doing much better than that. Yeah. But now the question is, the golden question, is that an Aston Martin problem or is that a Seb Vettel problem? The thing is that... 
No, the thing is that he was he was interpreting that as an Aston Martin problem and not a Seb problem. Right. What do you think? I think it's 50-50. <laughs> and how so? Um, I mean, we remember the Spinella memes from 2020. It's not like it's not like he's back at Red Bull and 100% in his prime anymore, but the talent is there when he's on his day. So yeah, he's prone more than usual to make mistakes, but at the same time, the car hasn't necessarily been super competitive. Right. So that's, that's why I think it's 50, 50. Yeah. I, I, I think it's more of an Aston Martin prompt. So I would go say 75, 25 mm. and 25% of Seb, I would just attribute it to, uh, I, it's 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 very demoralizing being in a team that's really at the back of the grid and so I think that because of that it might have some of its effects but I think that it would it, it mostly is an Aston Martin problem and they need to figure that out ASAP if they want to be competing for championships in five years I, I hope they figure it out for our sakes and I also heard some crazy rumors recently that um the Volkswagen group might buy Aston Martin to come into F1 using Audi and or Porsche. I heard that they were coming into F1, but not via Aston Martin. It was either they were going to create their own team or there were rumors that they were going to buy Aston Martin. I didn't hear that. Interesting. I Do we think that Lawrence Stroll is already planning an exit? He is a businessman first and foremost. Yeah, but there's no way that with Lawrence's drive and determination that he's going to sell this early. So I hope, look, I hope not. Because realistically, if he sells, then it's the end of Lance also. But we'll see. <laughs> Anyways, um, I have two more things that I want to talk about. First is a throwback to Imola last year with Russell finish, finishing in P4 and Bottas finishing in P5 and fighting it out like absolutely crazy. And then last, I have the absolute domination that was Max Verstappen in this race. Yeah, for, let me just address Bottas first. Okay. <laughs> Talk to me, president of the Bottas fan club. I am a bigger fan of Valtteri Bottas as the days go by. Um, he raced very well. If I were to tell you at this point last year, Jonah, that Alfa Romeo would be P5, what's your reaction? I would say Alfa Romeo scoring points on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why Alfa Romeo is acting in such a way is because they have a world-class driver by the name of Valtteri Bottas, who is chasing... Joe Guan Yu isn't doing that badly either, though. He's not, but Valtteri is leaps and bounds ahead of him. Yeah. And Valtteri has the experience and he has the right engine. Um, he has the right engine at the right time, let's just say. Because um, this might be really hard to believe, but I think he's leading Lewis in the World Drivers' Championship. That's hilarious. I, if that's true. If I that's think he true. is. I'm going to go check right now. Okay, well, while you're checking, I'm going to talk about what I think of that fight because Russell P4 versus Bottas P5. Who thought okay. that we would be seeing Lewis that Hamilton again? has 28 points and Bottas has 24 points. Okay, so four... it's very, very close. 
So I think that this is the closest they've ever been in yeah. a championship battle. Ouch. <laughs> Poor Bottas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing is that Bottas is not doing, is not four points behind Hamilton in a Mercedes. He's four points behind him in an Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Um, which I think is really impressive. And, and yeah, I think that Bottas raced really well. I think if he had a couple more laps, he would have passed George Russell and had P4. Uh, but I love that fight. I love that I fight. Honor- Not I just have- because it was a great wheel-to-wheel fight, but because of the significance behind it. Yes, I thought they might have were might have going to hit each other at the exact same spot. Very possible. I was getting uh, ready for it. We can't put anything past the two of them after what happened last year in Imola. So, yeah, and they were going very. They were going wheel to wheel at the exact same spot. Anything could have happened. Anything could have happened. However, one thing that did happen was Max Verstappen absolutely dominated this race. And I think that this proves, like the announcer said, when he finishes, he wins. So if that car can stay reliable, then he could easily win the championship this year. Yeah, he is poised to win the championship this year if the car is reliable. And I think it's more RBPT than it is the car itself. A hundred percent agreed. Um, but I think that the most important actor in him winning the championship is going to be Checo Perez. Because of his two DNFs, and in those two DNFs, Charles Leclerc won the race, um, there's a, a big gap separating them. And I think that Checo has to really act as a shield, not like he did last, you know, not like the Me- Mexican Minister of Defense did in Abu Dhabi last year, but he needs to be the 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 in the standings, he has to be the buffer between Charles and Max. Yeah, he has to I think sure so that too. P2 or P3 and Charles is P4 if Max wants to win the championship. I think that's a good point. Or like, for example, um, if you have um, if you have Charles winning and Max is second, then Checo needs to be third. It can't be signs. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it might have to, yeah. But that's but it's very possible this year that that could happen because of the way that Checo's driving this year, because but he's been driving so well. Ferrari might start to prioritize Charles as it gets later in the year. Um, if Carlos Sainz doesn't win races in the next like three or four races, they might start to prioritize uh, Charles. Well, uh, let's see if Ferrari is going to prioritize Charles and. Anything that else is going to happen at the new circuit in less than seven days' time, in six days' time, because we are going to Miami. Miami. (laughs) We're going to Miami, where we know a lot of people in Miami because we we live in Montreal. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, Jordan, what is your bold prediction for Miami? Well, I'm actually, look, like, like we've discussed on many occasions, I'm not a fan of having multiple races in a certain country, but this track looks like it's going to be a good event. It's going to look gonna like be it's going to it's gonna be a nice show for the fans. Um, my bold prediction, uh, it's, it might not be that bold, 
But I think that Ricardo gets a podium. Mm, that's very uh, possible. I think Ricardo's hearing all the chatter. You're getting replaced next year. You got to show up. Um, I think he might deliver a podium or at least the top five if he doesn't make any stupid mistakes. Well, I what I think is going to happen is Aston Martin's going to get in the top five and their upward trajectory will continue. You're too optimistic. And then they're going to win two races, right? Yeah, no, trust me. It's all part of the plan. They're they're of making course. us they're 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 making us doubt Aston Martin. They're sandbagging. Saying, they're they can't sandbagging. do it. They've been sandbagging, you know. Vettel Vettel just wanted to get COVID so that he could come back and be stronger. He didn't want to race in the Middle East. That's really what it was. <laughs> That's honestly what it was. <laughs> yeah. They, if someone's gonna say it, I'm gonna say it. They wanted they wanted to give they wanted to give Nico Hulkenberg uh, a few races just so that they could show that they have a legitimate reserve driver. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's what's gonna happen is um Aston Martin's gonna be in the top five. One of them. I hope so. Well, I, I I think that McLaren just continues their development. And I think that uh, they show what they did on day one of Barcelona testing, maybe. Well, if you want to see what happens with everyone in the Miami Grand Prix and follow us throughout the entire 2022 season and beyond, feel free to like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel and the JGF1 podcast, and we will see you for the next episode. See ya. See ya.